Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. And your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. People have their opinion. What other falsehoods are out there? A lot of the perception things about us. Are players buying in, Jim? I, yes. Fair enough. Rebuilds are difficult. Sometimes it takes years and years. I still believe, given a a really good offseason with this draft pick that we have coming and with our ability to to get some veteran players in here alongside these young guys, we we can make a substantial leap. Kick back, relax. Locked on Bulls starts now. My job is to prepare the child for the road, not the road for the child. And these guys are men. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked On Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, streaming live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, along with me is Matt Peck. Follow us on Twitter at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck, and at Locked On Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Today's Wednesday, so you know what that is. It's mailbag. So you're taking your voicemails, your text messages. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, drop us your voicemail or text message at 331-979-1369. Matt, welcome back. Happy hump day to you. Playoffs were pretty decent last night. I mean, not as close as some of the games have been, but uh, did you enjoy, are you enjoying the second round of the playoffs? What's up, Jordan? What's up, Bulls Nation? Yeah, it was uh, it was nice to see Milwaukee bounce back. Um, I'm thinking Paul Pierce feels a little foolish today uh, saying that that series was over <laughs> after Boston took game one. Look, you know, Milwaukee still has a tough road ahead. He just needs to be quiet. I mean, you know, he's first first saying that he had a better career than D. Wade. And like, even, you know, me as a Wade hater. I was like, dude, guy, <laughs> shut your mouth. You sound ridiculous. Um, but I like Boston still has the upper hand. They still all they have to do is hold home court and they're going to win this series. So um, Milwaukee, like, I feel like game three is going to be huge in that series, because if Milwaukee can go in and steal game three in, in Boston and, and take home home court back, then then they get the power back in the series. But it was at least nice to see them respond after they just completely got outworked. Uh, I think Budenholzer got out coached a little bit by Brad Stevens as well in game one. Giannis had a, a, a bit of a bounce back game like he didn't go crazy, um, but Milwaukee overall as a team shot better. Um, and, you know, they just they uh, they blew the door the doors off of Boston so I was I was happy to see them get the split at home after dropping game one and then the uh the nightcap game everybody was gonna come into it worrying about the officiating after all the talk about Harden and CP3 their complaints the addition of Scott Foster into the into the rowdiness of that and the whole jumping shooters where they land what the landing space is is that a foul is that not a foul and it really just wasn't a story in game two, it was just a you know a game that was played well uh, for the most part by both teams. You had a Harden injury, a Steph injury. Um, Harden and Steph both came back um, and and played well. But to me, the the player of that game last night was Draymond Green. You know that guy is I you know I feel like the Warriors live and die with the different versions of that player because sometimes his weird like mental mistakes and head caseness gets in their way whether it's texts and getting himself suspended or just not really having the the mental upper hand sometimes he loses it because he I feel like he plays mind games with himself but he was dominant in that game doing all the things he does being that you know that multi-talented versatile player he was crashing the boards he was making beautiful passes in that Warriors transition offense that is so hard to stop and uh like to me the Warriors also played really solid defense last night. And when the Warriors play spirited defense, to borrow uh, a, you know, a word from our friend Jim Boylan, they are still far and away the best team in the league. It's just whether or not they care about playing defense. And they, they clamped down defensively when it mattered last night, and they got the win. I'm very curious to find out what people think of Draymond Green after his career is over. Like, how are people going to remember Draymond Green? Because he's like to me, he's very unique in the way that 
he doesn't give a shit about his stats, and he's there to basically be the be the fourth wheel on that team, and he's he's been that since his Warriors upbringing. And like you look across the board, and his stats are kind of pedestrian. But I'm very curious, like ten years from now, maybe even twenty years from now, how are people going to look back at his career and look back at that Warriors championships team teams? And are they going to see Draymond Green in sort of the same light that they see Steph and Clay and KD and maybe even Andre Iguodala? Um, I that to me is just something that I've been thinking about all the, this whole entire playoffs. If this is really the last year that this entire team's going to be together, um, I'm very curious what people are going to think about Draymond Green after his career is over and ten years beyond that. Yeah, a lot of people make that argument that he wouldn't be nearly as influential of a player if he were on a team anywhere other than with these Warriors. And I, I get where that argument comes from to say that, look, if you just pluck Draymond out of the, of Golden State and put him on some other team, he's not going to be, uh, you know, a perennial all-defensive player, defensive of the year candidate. He's not going to be a nightly triple-double threat kind of guy. And there is some truth to that, sure, because on a nightly basis, and especially since the addition of Kevin Durant, the guy's like the fourth option, um, you know, even when they're using their Hampton Five offensively but he just does so many of the the things that go unnoticed and the little things that like would he be as influential on a team that isn't the the Warriors the team that is about to try to three-peat and have won the title three of the last four years no probably not but to me he's still for a guy who was looked over by a lot of teams Bulls included when he came into the league in the draft has made an amazing career for himself as like you know he's not an all-star caliber player but he is like the definition of the most elite level role player in the system of the league's best team and that's something yeah it's crazy to look at his offense and defensive box plus minus especially his defensive box plus minus uh since he was 23 he was averaging over a positive 4.0 defensive box plus minus that 2016-2017 season he actually led the league in defensive box plus minus at five so it's pretty crazy he was he's he's a damn good defender and I think people tend to forget about that beyond just his offensive stats but uh yeah it's I think that's what hurts him the most you know as much as we like to laugh at Jabari's quote like guys Guys don't get paid to play defense. That is just, it's the truest thing ever. I always bring it back to to Marcus Smart, but now I even think you could transition it to Draymond Green. I'm curious what he's going to get as far as a contract extension or what the Warriors are going to have to do in a couple of years. But uh, yeah, that was just something that I was thinking about while watching those games. Like, look back to the 2016 finals when they coughed up that 3-1 to one lead and, and ended up losing Game 7 to the Cavs. That doesn't happen if Draymond's not serving a questionable Game 5 suspension. That series probably ends That's true. at Game 5 if Draymond is not suspended. He is not the best player on the court. He's not the most talented player on the court, but everything he does matters. And just last night watching, James Harden is still one of the, right now, the most deadly offensive players in the league. And he was hampered by, you know, an, an injury to both eyes that actually came compliments of uh, what looked to be an unintentional, you know, swat to the face by, by Draymond himself. But when James was sizing up players, like the, the Rockets were trying and trying and trying uh, in so many different ways to get that switch to have Curry on Harden so that Harden could dominate Curry or get Curry in foul trouble. And, you know, they did accomplish the latter. But any time that Draymond was the one sizing up Harden, Harden went to his step back, which is in itself a very lethal weapon. And the dude's maybe arguably the best three-point shooter in the league right now. And his step back is filthy, but he never drives when Draymond is checking him. He can't get past Draymond Green. That's how valuable Draymond is on the defensive end. That's crazy to think about. You know, and you just look through his stats. Like, you, even you had mentioned the playoff stats, too, which are even better than his are even better than his regular season stats. So, I, I think that's huge. And I always, cont- I always tend to forget about uh, the Draymond Green suspension in that one year. And to me, you're totally right. You're spot on that I think the Warriors would have wrapped that up. So... Very, very interesting. Something that has come across my mind uh, watching these playoffs and wondering about that Warriors team and what's uh, 
what's going to be left of them after this year if KD leaves. So, And two, uh, the Warriors aren't the Warriors if Draymond Green doesn't make that phone call, right, after the 2016-2017 <laughs> finals or 2015-2016. Yeah, yeah, after they after they lost game 7 to the Cavs. So, if he doesn't make that phone call in the parking lot, KD's probably not a warrior, so. Um But, you know, who knows if even if KD leaves and goes to New York or goes, you know, somewhere else, um the Warriors if Steph's, you know, Steph, Clay, Draymond, Iggy are still there and they still have, you know, a pretty decent bench uh and a cast of role players like they won a title in 15 with Harrison Barnes instead of Kevin Durant. And yeah, the league is different and there are different, you know, com- uh, competitors and opponents challenging them in the Western Conference now than there were 5 years ago, but still those guys are all still in their prime. So even if Kevin Durant leaves, I, like I still think that the Warriors in the West, you know, that depends on like does Boogie stick around and is Boogie healthy? How how do they fill out their roster for you know the following season? To me, they're still the team to beat because they proved that they could win a title, even beating a LeBron James team without Kevin Durant. It's true. The only thing that I saw, and I saw this, and it was interesting on Twitter, is somebody had brought up the idea that. Um, when this team first was formulated, they won their first championship, I think, between Draymond, Steph, Clay, and there was one other. They only took up like $60 million of the cap space or something something along those lines where the cap space was tiny in comparison to now. And those four guys are going to take up like 90 of the $109 million or whatever it's going to be this summer. So I guess the point the person on Twitter was trying to make is that those role players that the Warriors were able to grab and use... Uh, that's probably not going to be the same case now that going into this summer because they're going to have four dudes that are locked up on huge contracts. So I think it's going to be difficult for them. But you're right. They should still be like even without KD, even if he leaves, they're still one of the favorites in the West. No doubt about it. Um, but the playoffs. Have been and I good. think they can keep Clay without without paying without paying him a huge truckload of money. Based on everything we're hearing about how much Clay likes playing in Golden State and wants to stay there, and even people within his circle who are echoing those sentiments, you know, because, well, maybe he wants to go play in L.A. Like, no, he's got plenty of time to live out the, the rest of his life in L.A. if he wants to live there after his playing days are done. But he knows he's got a good thing going. I think the Warriors can get Clay to stick around on a pretty good deal. And uh, they the are pretty Wade good thing? at finding, yeah, you know, Take uh, take the hometown or not hometown, but you know take take the discount for the team that has gotten you where you are and uh, to keep this thing rolling. Because th- I mean, this could end up being rivaling you know Celtics teams of yesteryear and the '90s Bulls as one of the most dominant dynasties of all time if they keep Steph and Clay and Draymond together and fill things out with other pieces. Do you think they're at that point right now or no? With the three championships that they already have I mean, and the fourth they should have won but they blew. <laughs> Like somebody asked me that the other day, like, are the Warriors on par with the Bulls dynasty? And my answer was, well, not yet, because the Bulls won six out of eight and the Warriors have now won three out of four and are on the verge of four out of five. I mean, if, if they get to six in a seven year span, which is still on the table, then, yeah, you have to talk about that. You have to talk about the fact that that might be leapfrogging the 90s Bulls as the second third best dynasty of all time yeah that's that's pretty crazy and you think about it just now like you said three out of four I don't know if they're there yet but they're certainly in the conversation is like probably one of the three or four most dominant teams in an era ever Um, like you were saying though if they win one more championship I think that really solidifies us to be able to have that conversation but that's interesting Um, with that Hope everybody else is enjoying the playoffs as much as we are. Um, Matt, I want to have a conversation with you maybe tomorrow on this is uh, how you're how like watching the playoffs impacts is impacted now without without LeBron and kind of how you're feeling. And if you even really remember that LeBron's not in this playoffs, because certainly I have. And I wonder what our listeners are thinking, too. So text us in. Hit us up on our voicemail line, 331-979-1369. All right, let's get to our first text message here. 
This one is from Eric219 from Northwest Indiana. He says, it seems the fan base is split on Denzel Valentine. I think coming off the bench, he can be a solid player off the bench, but I don't see him as a savior by any stretch of the imagination. Who are some candidates to target in free agency that we can aim to target to bolster the bench? I miss the bench mob days. So Matt, anybody that uh, the Bulls should be targeting this summer that can kind of fill the role of what Denzel Valentine played uh, even last year, what the Bulls are hoping well, for? Well, I mean, first of all, let's start with Denzel and the fact that he was mentioned by John Paxson in his season-ending press conference as essentially being a free agent addition himself this summer, coming back healthy if we are even foolish enough to believe for a second that you can assume a healthy Denzel Valentine is a thing that the Bulls will have um, to use. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, to Eric's point, nobody outside of maybe our pal Fred would see Denzel Valentine as a savior. I, I mean, I, I just I think it's so hard to 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 count on Valentine being a useful piece of the bench even though we saw him be a guy who could be a knockdown three-point shooter at times off the bench, um, certainly seemed like a guy who played better and more comfortably in that role as opposed to some of the uh, stretches of games in his first couple of years in the NBA where he was asked to start. I clearly think he is, you know, that is outside of uh, his reach and his caliber of play at this level. I just, you know, I'm, yes, he's still under contract, and yes, he is by all means, you know, unless the Bulls decide to trade him in some way, which I, you know, I, I throwing throwing in as an addition to some other trade. It's not like some team out there is going to go seek out Denzel Valentine. He's going to be a part of this this uh, you know this bench mob that's hopefully better next season. I just don't count on him at all. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, to think about it too is like going back to the bench and thinking about all the guys that are going to be there next year. Obviously, I think he's if he comes back healthy and that ankle is fine, I think he's going to have an impact. I mean, he's. He's a career 37.4% three-point shooter on four and a half attempts, and that's in like roughly about 100 games in the NBA. So there's some value there. I just don't know if uh, if he's going to bounce back the same way that we all think he should after being a year off of basketball, over a year off of basketball. I wonder how that's going to impact him, but I still think he's valuable, man. And I think as Bulls fans, we underrate Denzel Valentine and the impact that he can have. Like the dude's only going to be 25 still. Um, and I try to think of it too, encapsulating everything, uh, the contract that he's on too. Like that's a cheap option off the bench. And I know you're gonna have to make some decisions about whether or not you want to pay him or whatever coming down the line, but still, I think you add him to the bench, you add Chandler Hutchison and maybe a point guard and a backup uh, a backup big man, I think you're going to be all right. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that Denzel Valentine's like adding a free agent. I wouldn't go that far, but um, I think he can still have some impact. I just don't know where Bulls fans sit in terms of what their expectation is for him. My expectation is come off the bench, shoot some threes, play halfway de- decent defense, and don't embarrass yourself. If you can do all of those three things, I'm good with that because what we've seen from the bench over the last two years has been god-awful. So um, I don't think people, I don't think we should be too like pressed or upset about Denzel Valentine or what his role is going to be on this team. Uh, for me, at least, I think he's going to impact this team. Even if it's marginally, uh, it's still better than the options the Bulls had this season. I mean, yes, he, you know, going back to your original point, yes, he is only 25 still. Um, and, you know, uh, on the, the tail end of his rookie deal. But he's also a 25-year-old who's had multiple surgeries to fix and address multiple injuries. Knees, ankles, feet. I, I'm sorry, to me... The age does not, you know, speak loudest to me. The number of surgeries and number of injuries and number of games missed due to injury speaks a lot louder than, well, yeah, he's still, you know, he's still a spring chicken at at 25 years of age. Like to me, that's, that's, you know, that's more important than how old the dude is. Um, And that like, as you know, as far as other guys, other free agents to fill out, you know, this bench mob you know we've talked about some of the most likely candidates a veteran point guard is probably going to be added um there are some other interesting names out there uh i know like maybe uh like you know one i'm just was thinking about earlier this morning is Sadoransky from washington i know a lot of bulls fans are interested in and 
maybe bringing him in, a guy that might fit. Um, some people want to bring back Robin Lopez. We were just talking uh, to Hyken earlier this week about Taj Gibson, a veteran, you know, front court guy who we could bring in. Wesley Matthews is another name I've heard a lot as a, a potential target for the Bulls. Um, Ed Davis, um, who you know did some nice things for for a, a a Brooklyn team that had a pretty good season. I just you know I, we'll see. Like to me, I think the Bulls are gonna be a team that waits for the obviously for the big dominoes to fall and then we'll we'll see what's left uh you know on the trash heap where they can pick and choose but to me like we know the the areas of need and and it starts there I think too don't underestimate the draft picks either because if the Bulls fall out of the top two I don't none of those guys that the Bulls are going to draft outside the top two are going to start right away so that's going to be an addition to your bench right yeah. away. The second, the second round pick too is going to be an addition if they if they choose wisely. That can be another addition to your bench. So you're going to have two guys there, and also to remember, the Bulls don't have that many roster spots to give away. Like they don't have that many roster spots to fill. Right. So I think after the two draft picks, I think the Bulls have three spots to to fill out. And, I mean, they've got guys that they need to make decisions on, too. Ryan Archidiakno is a restricted free agent. Shaq Harrison's still on the roster. His his contract's not guaranteed, but he's still on the roster. So, you only really realistically, like, have two holes where you need to fill on your roster. The rest are guys that are already on guaranteed contracts. So, th- remember to think about that, too, when you're thinking in terms of... Uh, signing free agents this summer and who you can add to that bench because realistically the Bulls only have like two or three spots to fill and that's considering that they signed their second round pick but um if you're adding to the bench mob I would be I would be uh I would say look at the draft more so than anything else and if the Bulls are going to spend the majority of their money on a point guard I would hope that that was a guy that can start so um then you look at the point guard position and every one of those guys kind of shifts down and that'll be a part of your bench as well so um yeah I think that's something else to consider is the Bulls don't have that many roster spots to give up so they need to address their needs first before adding any surplus to that bench but I think it's mainly going to come from the draft if the Bulls are outside the uh the first or the second pick so there's there can be some impact there too so good question thanks for the question hiring is challenging but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. That place is ZipRecruiter.com. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, Locked On Bulls listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's uh, let's go to the next one. This one comes to us from the 630 Hey guys, wanted to know what you think about going after Alfred Payton if the Pelicans don't re-sign him. Uh, he's a UFA who was on a one-year, $3 million contract this year. He's only 25, so he fits the timeline better than Rubio or Rose or Jeff Teague. Um, I had him on my fantasy team late in the year and watched him record five straight triple-doubles, joining MJ and Russ as the only players to do so in the last 35 years. That showcase was when Drew Holiday was out, making him the primary ball handler. Same role I think he would fit well on with the Bulls. Um, I like personally the, the whole like five straight triple doubles thing. I you know like you want to cherry pick some stats, fine. Like that doesn't speak volumes to me. But just in general, Jordan, what do you think about Alfred Payton? He's a guy we haven't really talked about as a potential uh, backcourt addition. I don't mind it. I don't think the Pelicans are going to get rid of him though especially if Anthony Davis is getting traded and they trade him to the Lakers and they don't get a point guard there or they move him to another team that they're not going to fill that point guard position right away. Like, I know people think that Drew Holiday is that guy there, but like he, to me, is more of an 
more useful in a multi-ball handler system and usually playing off the ball. Uh, that's just my opinion, but I mean, he's not a bad decision. Like he makes sense to the timeline. Alfred Payton does. And you look at his stats last, just this last season, 10.6 points, 7.6 assists is no joke. And 5.2 rebounds in just 42 games. And he averaged 29.8 minutes. So it wouldn't be a bad option. I think he's going to come at a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a price point than $3 million on a one-year contract. I mean, it's not the worst decision in the world. He did have a streak where he played really well for that Pelicans team uh, this past season, but he would be more of a guy that I would think would fit this Bulls team if the Bulls drafted John Morant. If they knew that they were getting their starting point guard right away, then you could take a chance on a younger guy that maybe could fill out that bench role. But do you really see Alfred Payton being an impact guy as a starter here on this Bulls team? Because to me, I haven't no. seen enough, and I still worry about those Orlando days where he didn't look all that great. Yeah, I'm, I've always been kind of underwhelmed by Alfred Payton. Um and I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there about the Pelicans and the situation they're in and whether or not they'll let him go. And if, if they do decide to tear everything down and not only get rid of AD, but but try and move off of Drew Holiday's big contract, then, you know, they might look to just keep Alfred Payton around uh, as, you know, a plug and play guy uh, after Drew Holiday's, de- uh, Holiday's departure. But to me, most importantly, if he decides to grow back that ridiculous hairdo, <laughs> I don't want him anywhere near a Bulls uniform. I loved it. Like, it was funny that, as like hell. That, that, is, that, is, that is a non-starter. That is non-negotiable. That is absolute immediate disqualification. You cannot play on my basketball team if you have a hairdo like that. What were you thinking? Dude, he's just trying to block out the lights. The it was like he was wearing a hat. Like, it's so funny. Any any time I watched you know an Orlando game back in the day when he was rocking that hairdo and I saw him like chuck up a brick, I'm like, dude, get the hair out of your face and maybe you can see the hoop. I was gonna say, I think I don't know if it was Zach Lowe or Ryan Rosillo, but a couple of years ago when I was listening to a podcast, one of them was like, "Do you guys honestly think that that part of why Alfred Payton isn't performing is because he can't see?" I just found it hilarious but maybe the haircut was something that he needed to do and now he's finally playing better um I just going back and circling back to this question I don't think the Pelicans are going to get rid of Alfred Payton like where they're at in the rebuild and where they're trying to restart they're probably going to want to keep him around um so it's a good option I don't I don't hate it the only thing that that is discouraging about him is that he's not a great three-point shooter and he doesn't take a whole lot right Uh, he's a career 1.4 three-point attempts per game on 30.2 percent shooting so um, if you don't mind that he can't shoot all that many threes, then he's not that bad of an option. But if you want somebody who can shoot threes, he's probably not the guy that's going to do that for you. So um, thanks. That's intriguing. Uh, our next question comes from the 312. How can Rubio be any better than Dunn? I understand you guys want to see Rubio and Levine in a backcourt together, but they strived under a different system, and that was years ago. I think Rubio is a solid point guard, but I would rather have a better starting point guard. My only question is, are you guys looking to bring Rubio in as a bench player or a starter? If we get John Morant, Darius Garland, or Kobe White, where does Rubio fall in line? Are you guys willing to spend 12 to $14 million on a bench point guard? I think you can get better options than Rubio for a reserve role and at that money, interested to hear what you guys think. Thanks and keep up the good work. So Matt, we talked a lot about Ricky Rubio last week. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? And I guess we didn't really explain uh, what role Ricky Rubio would play if he was signed by the Bulls this offseason. Yeah, so to me, and this is my opinion, and I understand that in some areas Rubio is an underwhelming player offensively. To me, if the Bulls sign Rubio, he's your starting point guard. To me, if you sign Rubio on a veteran, modest-scale deal over, like, say, you know, a two- or three-year deal, he is your starting point guard whose primary job is to create opportunities and great looks with his basketball IQ, with his court vision, and open things up for Zach Levine, Lowry Markkinen, find shots for Otto Porter when Otto is spreading the floor, it does not matter to me that Rubio is a okay at best three point shooter. He can attack the basket. He can break down people off the dribble for himself and for his teammates. He's a smart player, and 
I would I would want him in and like this is I will go as far as to say that even if the Bulls land the number two pick and draft John Morant, you let that kid make the transition into the NBA as a lightning in a bottle scorer off the bench, and he plays off the bench behind Ricky Rubio, and Rubio, the veteran with great court vision and playmaking ability, is your starting point guard whose primary job is to get looks for your scorers, Zach Levine, Larry Markin, and Otto Porter Jr. The crazy thing about Ricky Rubio and Chris Dunn, and I think we even said, I think I even said this last summer, is that the stats were pretty similar. If you just looked at it on paper and you weren't watching any eye test or any games, like the stats are pretty similar. And even stacking up this year, uh, the stats are pretty pretty similar. Like Chris Dunn even. Had, it's crazy. Chris Dunn even has a better three-point percentage than Ricky Rubio does this year on just about an attempt less. I mean, Chris Dunn shooting 35.4% in 2018-2019, and Ricky Rubio shot 31.1%. I think, to me, I go back and look at the defense, and that, to me, I think is the biggest indication out of anything. Um, but you're right. I, I I agree with you on that. If they're going to sign Ricky Rubio to 12 to $14 million, he is your starter. Like, no doubt about it, 100%. He's not going to go to any team that he isn't going to start on. Like, he's still a starter in this league, no doubt about it. So, um, for me, if the Bulls are going to pursue him, then that, to me, tells me either they they drafted a wing with their first-round pick or they drafted a point guard that they don't know can fill that starting role right away, like a Darius Garland or a Kobe White. Um, If they draft John Morant, I don't see them going after a point guard like this and spending all of that cap space on somebody like that. I think they can find a backup point guard for cheaper and then maybe fill fill other needs on this team uh, with the rest of their cap space. But if you're going to bring a guy in like Patrick Beverly or Ricky Rubio or even Darren Collison or any of those guys that are at the top of that tier, they're all going to start. So if the Bulls are going to attack that way, I think to me it says that they didn't draft John Morant and they drafted either a wing or they drafted one of those second tier point guards in this draft, whether it's Garland or whether it's White. But I like Ricky Rubio's game and I understand the point that our text is bringing up and it's a good point that Rubio and Levine played in a different system and also Levine is a completely different player than he was just even two years ago with that Timberwolves team so um, yeah that's that's a very interesting point but that's where I'm at with Rubio and while we're on the subject because Bulls fans are all about talking the point guard situation this summer it's huge let's go to our next text uh, 312 hey guys Patrick here as far as point guard free agents this summer all I hear really as far as names are Collison, Rubio, Rose, and Beverly. But what about Ish Smith? What about J.J. Barea? What about Jeremy Lin? They're free agents too. I feel like if we got any of those guys as our backup and a mentor to our 2019 drafted point guard, or at a minimum, push Chris Dunn, I would be fine with that. Barea has been a winner, solid contributor, even on a finals winning team. Uh, that being the Dallas Mavericks. His skill and experience will be great on the Bulls. Ish Smith is a blur, and at least in the games I saw him play against us, he killed the Bulls. Lynn, we know what he is, a solid backup role player and the kind of high-character player the Bulls like to pick up. Um, thanks for the uh, thanks for your work. Thanks for the great analysis of a pretty abysmal season. Uh, thanks for checking in, Patrick. So throw them onto the pile, Jordan, Ish Smith, Barea, Jeremy Lin, any of those guys uh, pique your interest? Yeah, this is actually a good point. This is a perfect transition because all of those guys listed that Patrick listed are guys that would come off the bench, right? Ish Smith's a bench guy. J.J. Barea at this point in his career is a bench guy, and certainly Jeremy Lin is a bench guy. So to me, mm-hmm. if you're going to attack either one of these guys, you're signed, you you just drafted John Morant. That's where I see the best... The best option to sign any one of these three guys, and more specifically, I'm interested in Jeremy Lin, specifically because of the Trey Young connection that he had this year. Uh, go back and read some of the quotes from Trey Young about the impact that Jeremy Lin had on him this season. Seriously, no doubt Jeremy Lin could be a great mentor if the Bulls draft somebody like John Morant. Uh, so I would be definitely be interested, and he won't be that expensive either. Like He got moved to, to Toronto, and I understand that. He doesn't play all that big of a role there, but... To me, like the the mentor role by him and what he did for Trey Young this season, I think at least piques my curiosity. J.J. Barea, maybe, but I don't see him leaving Dallas. And Ish Smith, maybe, but I feel like Detroit, if they're still trying to play this, this we want to be competitive, I don't know why they would let him walk. 
Uh, so if I'm going to hone in on anybody, it's probably Jeremy Lin, and that comes with the caveat that the Bulls drafted John Moran. Yeah, all three of these guys are interesting uh, interesting ideas. I know um, my buddy Big Dave loves the idea of bringing Ish Smith to Chicago, and uh, our texter is not wrong. Definitely, uh, he cooked the Bulls when the Bulls play the Pistons this season. Always. Unbelievable. Hey, guess what? You know what? That's not exactly the most accurate or useful measuring stick because the Bulls' defense was a giant sieve this season. (laughs) Um, You know, Ishmith, he he is, you know, he is an exciting player. He's a guy who's, uh, you know, a tested veteran, a well-worn veteran at this point. At age 30, he's played in a lot of different teams, a lot of different situations, a lot of systems, and he always provides the same stuff. And not only you know can he attack the the basket uh, and, and get to the basket in, in really aggressive ways, to me the thing that's most impressive about him as a backup point guard is his assist to turnover ratio. Look at it this year. In 56 games off the bench for Detroit, he averaged 3.6 assists per game in 22 minutes compared to just 1.1 turnover. That is an assist turnover ratio that Bulls fans couldn't even dream of given the 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 shared ball handling duties of Chris Dunn and Zach Levine this past season. That's crazy, man. Like I know like just even watching those playoffs and like you said when Detroit played the Bulls, he just absolutely cooked the Bulls. So, he'd be a fun player off the bench. Certainly, uh I would have no reservations about that. Both of those guys to me I think are really interesting. I think it's just going to circle back to the fact that they need a starter as opposed to signing somebody that would come off their bench. And if they get that in the draft, then that's perfect. But outside of that, I would want them to spend their money in a guy that would solidify that starting rotation, at least for me, to bridge the gap to whenever they get to their next point guard. Right. So, and, and uh, l- All three of those options aren't bad. Let me just say, I agree with you. I don't think is going to leave uh, Dallas. I love J.J. Barea. I have loved him his entire NBA career. Such a feisty guy, um, a really good player, a smart player. Um, one of, and like honestly, like one of my favorite um, collapses and downfalls of a of a team that I despised, the Lakers. So, you know, before the Heatles came in and became the most hated team in the league, I hated Kobe's Lakers. Um, the first go around with Shaq and the second go around with Paul. I did not want to see Phil Jackson win more titles uh, and, and have two three peats with a team other than the Bulls. I hated them. I rooted against them feverishly. And that series, that Lakers-Mavs series in 2011, before the Mavs went on to win the whole thing, when they just swept the Lakers off the floor, including uh, Berea having a dynamite performance. And remember, he took that huge, awful elbow right to the sternum as he was driving down the lane from Andrew Bynum in one of the most disgraceful, dirty plays I can remember. And just like got right back up. Andrew Bynum. Berea, tiny little, you know, David going up against Goliath, got right back up, drilled the free throws, was a stud throughout that series. I, you know, I loved Berea before that. And like, I've loved him even more ever since. And uh, I know, I know my buddy John, who is a diehard Mavs fan, has always loved Berea. I don't think he's leaving. Let's, uh, let's transition to the next question. 217. Uh, Chuma Okiki is currently sitting around the beginning of the second round in a lot of mock drafts. He'd be a great fit that would add some two-way versatility and depth to the front court. I'd like to see the Bulls snag him somehow, uh, regardless of who we take in the first round. Hopefully the co- the combine doesn't take him too far up the board. Any opinions on Okiki? Uh, Matt, the one thing I'll quickly say on Okiki is I'm very nervous about his injury, but over the past couple of seasons in this draft, we've seen guys bounce back that have had injuries uh, coming into the draft. Specifically, I think about OG Ananobi had a similar in injury to Okiki, and he's bounced back and played really well. I mean, you redraft there. I think OG Ananobi doesn't go number, I think he went number 22 in that draft. I think he slides up back into the lottery. So that would be my only concern with him. But I'll be honest with you, I don't think he's going to be around when the Bulls pick at 37. Um, so yeah, I don't think he's going to be around in the second round. Yeah, I mean, I was really impressed watching this kid play. Like, you know, I didn't watch a whole lot of Auburn basketball during the season. But then in the tourney, when they were making that great run all the way to the Final Four, he had that really gruesome injury uh, that ended up being a torn ACL in... I wa- It was their Sweet 16 game against the UNC, right? Um, and uh, yeah, he was the heart and soul of that team leading into that. He was playing at such a high level for them. And, I, you know, 
uh, to our texter's point about I hope uh, you know the combine doesn't take him too far up the board. Well, he's not going to be doing a whole lot of you know physical stat kind of stuff, vertical leaps and 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 other combine activities. Um, if he goes to the combine, he's just going to be doing interviews, which uh, you know which which could even without any physical activity, um, just because people seem to really like the guy and he was very well respected. Uh, by you know Bruce Miles and everybody in that Auburn program, he could turn a lot of heads just by how much of a high character guy he is, and we always know how much the Bulls value that when they're evaluating their their draft prospects. Before he got hurt, um, and I was watching him play in those tournament games, I I fell in love with him quickly. Uh, he's such a versatile kind of like modern aged you know undersized power forward in, the, in today's NBA who can step back and 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 shoot the three. Um, he shot 38.7% from behind the three-point line this season, his second season with Auburn. Overall, a 49.6% uh, uh, field goal percentage. The dude averaged 12 and s- nearly seven rebounds, nearly two assists, nearly two steals, and a block in uh, 29 minutes per game. Played and started in 38 games this season. He's got a really quick first step, and between that and the fact that you have to respect him behind the three-point line, you you saw him burn a lot of guys off the dribble for a guy his size. Um, you know, he's he's got a versatile game working from the post. He can go both directions. He can work from both blocks. He can finish with either hand. There's a lot about his offensive game I like. Oh, and by the way, led all SEC players last season with offensive rebounds. The entire freaking conference. He had the most offensive rebounds all season. The guy is so talented in so many ways. And here comes the butt. The torn ACL. I, you know, I you, you said guy college players who have a, a season-ending injury, even serious ones like ACLs, can bounce back and go on to have good NBA careers, great NBA careers even. I'm not denying that that's true. But what do we talk about constantly with this team this season, last season? You know, the the Rose and Butler years of yesteryear, they can't ever stay healthy. And I just like, why put yourself? We were just talking about Denzel Valentine, whether or not he could be a useful bench player. Well, he's got to be healthy and on the court first. So to me, like as much as I liked this kid, I, you know, I'm I'm not crossing my fingers that that he's available for the Bulls to draft him in the second round. Yeah, I just don't think he's going to be there. I think he's too there's too many teams at the back end of the first round, all those playoff teams that can afford to let him even, even if he had to take the entire first season off can afford to do that and still develop a really good player. That's on a cheap, really cheap contract. So I can see a a scenario where one of those five teams at the back end of the first round, take a chance on him. So I just really realistically don't think he's going to be available when the bulls pick in the second round. So he's a good player. I totally agree with you too. He was really impressive. Uh, the only thing that scares me is the ACL. Um, all right, let's get on to our next question here. This is a pretty funny one. 773 asks us, Matt and Jordan, why wasn't Scottie Pippen in Space Jam? Uh, I, maybe because he was too busy demanding a trade. I don't know. <laughs> Here's what I found out, though, doing a little bit of research from it. Um, a couple articles have said, a lot of featured NBA talent was in Space Jam. And here's one paragraph specifically. It says, It pays to have friends in talented places. Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Muggsy Bogues, Larry Johnson, Sean Bradley, Del Harris, Vladi Divac, Cedric Sabalos, Paul Westfell, Danny Ainge, Alonzo Mourning, A.C. Green, Charles Oakley, Derek Harper, Jeff Malone, Anthony Miller, Horace Grant, Steve Kerr, Luke Longley, Brian Shaw, Bill Wennington, and Scottie Pippen were among the dozens of pro ballers and coaches who made credited and uncredited appearances in the movie. So Scottie was involved, although he wasn't credited on Space Jam. I'd have to look, go back and really look at the credits. Um, but all of those dudes contribute one way or the other. So I bet you Scottie Pippen had some input in there. Like his name's on this among dozens of other players. So do you do you think the credited and contributed list of just like the actual full length credits of the movie involves players that Jordan flew out to Universal Studios campus to play pickup games with him in between takes <laughs> on the set? Like, because if they got credits <laughs> for true. that, then yeah, that's a really long list of NBA players who were quote unquote credited um, or or at least listed. In the credits for contributing, 
um, because you li- you rattled off a long list of names, and outside of just like the shots of the games themselves, um, where you know some of the players start to lose their powers and stuff like that, and so everybody who's on those courts gets uh, credit for being involved. There are a lot of names that you just said that I'm like, no, that that player doesn't have a cameo in Space Jam, as far as I'm aware, and I've watched that movie like a hundred freaking times. So, um, to you know, to be the the more interesting conversation. Uh, as far as who is and who is not in Space Jam, um, is is not about who teamed up, uh, uh, you know, uh, as the Monstars in the original. But the fact that LeBron is having so much trouble getting anyone to agree to be in his in his sequel, nobody wants to be in Space Jam two with LeBron, and I love it so much. That's crazy. I think it's more so the fact that like a lot of the players right now in the NBA grew up on Space Jam, and they're like, man. I don't know if I want to be a part of uh, of a classic, the the number one grossing basketball movie ever made. That's outside of White Man Can't Jump too. So I think I, find I was going to say funny. that beat out White Man Can't Jump. Yeah, they uh, it's Damn. now the most grossed movie. I would not have guessed that. So that's it's pretty crazy, right? The other interesting fact that I found out, well, doing you know, little- I guess like everybody likes Wesley Snipes and everybody <laughs> likes Woody Harrelson, but neither of them are Michael freaking Jordan. That's true, so. exactly. And this film too went across. All demographics, uh, whether it's age, whether it's men or women, whoever, like anybody still loves Space Jam. And at that time, I think even adults were going to watch this. I have to go back and watch Space Jam. It's probably been a decade since I've watched it. Um, But the one other interesting thing that I uh, came across while doing a little bit of research on Space Jam was, did you know Jim Rome made a short cameo in Space Jam and he's still getting residual checks from the movie? I did know that because he is... Uh, it's like his old show, Jim Rome is Burning, right, or whatever it was, where he's trashing Michael's baseball swing. Uh, and MJ's like in a hotel oh, room. True. He's MJ's in his hotel room watching Jim Rome, or maybe he's at in his living room at home and watching Jim Rome trash him uh, about how bad he is at the plate. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, hey, that's Jim Rome. <laughs> so his last residual check, he took a picture of it, and this is this is all the way back in 2014, so this is still five years ago, but... He made $6.38 on one of his checks still coming in from Space Jam. Dude, if you do a movie 20 years ago and you're still getting checks from it, I don't even care if it's $6.38. That's that's amazing. Um, So that's awesome. Thanks for that question. That was cool to kind of reminisce about that. I'm going to go back and watch Space Jam again, see if it still holds up. Like I said, I haven't probably watched it in a decade or so. Dude, still holds up. Still a classic every time. That's uh, that excites me. Uh, This one comes from the 409. What's up, fellas? Bulls basketball being over for some time, some time. I took a little break. With that being said, what chance do you give the Bulls to land Kamba Walker? How would you find the money? Who do we lose? Do you think he is impressed with our young core enough to walk away from approximately $200 million deal? Just a thought. We need him. He needs us. Keep up the awesome job, Richard in Texas. Thanks for checking in, Richard. Uh, Jordan, I'll give you my two cents real quickly here. I feel like I've said it before. This is not realistic. The Bulls getting Kemba is not realistic. Um, no, I don't think he is impressed enough with our young core to walk away. If he does walk away from Charlotte, it will be somewhere more enticing than what the Bulls are working with right now. I, I've had Bulls fans saying, well, you know, they can free up a little bit more money to offer him close to the max, at least for, you know, a team that is not trying to keep him where he is. And, you know, just like, oh, you know, just move Felicio's contract. I keep people, I keep hearing Bulls fans say, just move Felicio's contract. How? That is the most, and I am not exaggerating right now, the most unmovable contract in the NBA. They're not moving Felicio's deal. We're stuck with it. And you're not convincing Kemba to come here for, even if they throw all they have at him, $20 million per? No. If he were to take a pay cut like that, it would be to go to an immediate contender, which the Bulls are not. Jordan, your thoughts? That's exactly how I feel. Like if he he's not going to consider the Bulls because there's probably other three other options that put him in an immediate contender position, right? And still get the money that he deserves. Like if he was going to do that, I'm, I feel like he would have stayed in Charlotte, right? And we still don't know if he's going to do that or not. Yeah. But I mean, the dude is a hero in Charlotte. He's a savior of Charlotte Hornets basketball, yeah. and and for him. Staying there would would be about as equal as coming to this Bulls team. Like, he still would have to wait a year, two years, three years for this team to actually be at a point where they can contend. Adding Kemba Walker, of course, would 
put an injection in this team right away and they would be better than they were the last two years. But still, do you think he wants to wait around to be the eighth seed again or the seventh seed or the sixth seed and then get knocked out in the first round? I don't think he's looking to do that on a different team. If he was going to do that, he would probably stay in Charlotte. So I agree with you. And the whole Felicio thing too, man, I keep hearing that too. I keep telling people, you can't move that contract. Nobody wants that deal. Even in a trade, nobody wants that contract. You're going to have to give up. If you trade him, you're going to have to legit, legitimately give up probably a p- protected first round pick to, to get off of that contract because it's that bad. He's not playable. Yeah. He is not playable. It's that bad. No. So. No. He's he's the laughing stock of the league right now. And nobody's like, you know, champing at the bit to take on that contract, even to get an asset for it just not they're happening. uh they're trying to get omer they're trying to get the three million from omer sheik's contract back though so that would be right. kind of a nice if we Which, got a little extra you know, three million dollars yeah it, it provides a little extra wiggle room if they want to add multiple free agents which it sounds like they want to do so you know hopefully assuming everything goes right with that and and they are granted that request 23 million is better than 20 if you're talking about adding two or maybe three guys and offering one of them you know, an annual salary of something between ten and twelve million. So we'll keep uh, we'll keep tabs on that and see if the Bulls actually get that money back. And if they do, they better use it. They better use that damn money. That's all I'll say. Uh, last text here, and then we'll get out of here, Matt. This is from the nine four nine. Hey guys, I'm a long haul truck driver from Southern California. Of the four major North American sports leagues podcasts I listen to while I'm on the road, you guys are the best for consistency, length, content, and I just wanted to say I really appreciate your work. I'm a huge advocate of drafting for best player available and addressing position specific needs through free agency, and I'm having a debate with some friends, and I'm interested in getting your take. If you have one player from each of the positions who are all just as good at their positions as each other. What positions would you guys rank as level of importance and give your reasons for each? I understand the game is always evolving in the current emphasis on point guard, but it used to be power forward and center. But if you take out the current makeup of the league and get down to raw basketball fundamentals, which positions are most important from one to five? Thanks again for all your work and for making the highways less boring. Go Bulls. That, I gotta say, Matt... That is the nicest thing that somebody has said to us in a long time. So we appreciate that. Little things like that for everybody that uh, that sends us texts and lets us know where you're listening and uh, getting you through the day. Really, really appreciate that. Shout out to all of our truck drivers out there that are listening. Yeah, for real. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I'm glad that we can provide some uh, some less boring hours in uh, in your job, which I'm sure is is not easy. Uh, and, and involve some long hours. Um, so respect to you. Respect to truck drivers out there everywhere who need some content to keep them alert at the wheel. And go Bulls indeed. Thanks for checking in. This is an interesting question, Jordan, because I feel like it, it, uh, it's an ebb and flow thing. And, and these days we talk more and more about that phrase positionless basketball, right? Um, I, I would agree with... Uh, our, our truck driver friend here as far as drafting best available and then targeting positions of need and free agency. To me, I think that that, you know, a two-pronged attack makes the most sense as opposed to doing only one or the other or vice versa. Um, as far as which positions are the most important in today's NBA, we've talked about it a little bit, you know, recently in talking about the teams that are in the playoffs and going far in the playoffs. It's becoming more and more a point guard slash combo guard driven league everybody knows that the three and d spot is very vital um which is why we were very happy to bring Otto porter into the fold considering how shallow the bulls were at that position but when you look at the the players dominating it is either point guards shooting guards who serve functionality wise as point guards themselves a la james harden a lot of the time when cp3 is playing off the ball or a player like Kevin Durant who plays point forward, a player like Giannis Antetokounmpo who plays point forward, a forward point forward player like LeBron James. So to me, it's like a combination of people who have the playmaking and ball handling abilities to serve as a point guard, even if they are sized like a small forward or even an undersized power forward. That's kind of how I would break that down. What about you? You think the point guard position is the most vital in the NBA right now to a team's success, correct? And ideally, having a 
player who is bigger than your average point guard who is essentially can serve the purposes of the point guard job while also being a larger point forward kind of player like the names that I just rattled off who are right now the most dominant players in the league. That makes sense. I'm actually going to go a different route. I think the wing position is the most important. While it's not the deepest right now in the NBA, but in terms of at the top, I think it is. And that's the most important. You go back and look at the last 10 championships won, and I get it. LeBron has won a decent amount of those, and so has the Warriors. But still think about it. Think about all the dominant wings in the NBA. You got Paul George, you got LeBron James, you got Kevin Durant, you got Kawhi Leonard. All of those players instantly make your team an NBA Finals contender. Without a, a dominant wing player, I think it's very hard to win an NBA championship. It's it's very hard to be good because usually your wing player is gar- guarded and matched up against the best guy on the opposing team on the floor. And usually that guy can play both sides of the ball. Think about all the guys that I just mentioned. All of those guys can play both sides of the ball at a really high level. And maybe some of you want to laugh at LeBron, but I get it. He's still at that point when he was in the, in the peak of his career with the Heat and even before that in the Cavs, he played decent defense. So... Uh, to me, I think the most important in order to build a championship is the wing position. And that's like splitting hairs between, I also agree with you, I think uh, uh, the combo guard position too. So if anything, it's your it's your backcourt, I think that's the most important. And it's kind of flipped script since uh, our texture has said since like the 90s where it was all about your front court and it was all about your big men and dominating inside and all of that. Um, so me, I'm going with the wing position as far as the most important for a team uh, in this era. That That's fine, and that's fair, and I wouldn't necessarily disagree. I would just say that, you know, those wings that you were mentioning, LeBron, KD, if you want to call him a wing, Kawhi, Paul George, they all fit into the kind of player that I was kind of trying to describe as maybe not your natural player, point guard as far as size and the way that they came up and the position they played as they were making their way through the college and NBA levels but a person who while maybe is more technically positioned as a wing someone who can take over and be your ball dominant player who can create opportunities not only for themselves offensively but are pretty darn good as a playmaker as well. So, like, that's what I meant when I was talking about yeah, point forwards. Like, to me, that's what... So, like, you call it a wing. I play. I call it a, a point guard who is, you know, bigger uh, and uh, more versatile than your average point guard. You call it a point forward. You call it whatever you want. Those kinds of players, and ideally the ones that, as you said, can play both directions, like a Kawhi, like a Paul George, are the ones who right now in today's NBA are the most valuable. That makes sense. And I think where I'm coming with this conversation now that we're talking it out is... The fact that it's really hard to pinpoint positions now. Like, I know people say that the NBA is positionless now, and people kind of roll their eyes and they're like, mm, it, it, it. no, it seriously is. Because there's guys that can play three, four positions on the floor at a time. And, and that goes for one side of the ball. Now we look at how guys can play on one side of the ball, and we don't really peg them as a guy that needs to stay at that position like think about it in terms of this Zach Levine for for instance Zach Levine is usually guarding the worst backcourt player on the floor at all times right and on offense he has been asked to be the ball handler so that puts him at the point position so exactly what you're saying kind of like a point forward is is a dominant player and I think thinking in terms of that way that makes sense uh, so we're I think we're both kind of in, in agreement that um your your best player is gonna be is gonna come from the guy either at the wing position like like I said or uh, that point forward he's dominating on the offensive end and and controlling the ball so um, that the other thing that I want to ask just to tip off this question then we'll get out of here is what do you think is the least impactful player on on a starting five in terms of position or where they're laid out on the floor campaign <laughs> uh, just campaign Chris, Chris Dunn? <laughs> um. No, I, you know, as our, our trucker friend suggested, it, you know, it kind of used to be in the old days, power forward slash center was like the most dominant, the most valuable, whether you're talking about like a Shaq or a Tim Duncan um, or even going back further, like Kareem, um, those were the players that were really the most valuable. Will Chamberlain, you know, um, that, you know, that list of those players who just dominated the game and, and even kind of changed the game and some of them even changed the rules of the game because how much they dominated it. And in today's NBA, 
positionless basketball, the emphasis of the three-point shot, and the efficiency of scoring that it's become kind of obsolete to have a traditional center on your team. Um, Jim Boylan and Robin Lopez might stick their nose up at that with all of the efficient paint scoring that those two combined to do this past season in the you know the, the latter stages of the 18-19 Bulls. But I think the overarching trend right now is that yesterday's traditional center, who is not versatile among positions they can play on either end of the floor, is getting phased out. I would agree with that. I think I would take... To me, I, w- I almost look at the uh, the power forward position because there are so many wings now, the guys that play the three, that can shift over and play the four and play it pretty well, right? A lot of those small ball teams that we see have guys playing at the four. Like Kevin Durant even, like for the most part, plays at the four for a lot of that time. Like you see it even with this Bulls team, you can switch Otto Porter from the three to the four and play smaller ball lineups. And I think a lot of teams are going that way now. So you got... You got players like LaMarcus Aldridge, who is kind of like a flash in the pan, uh, a look back at, mm-hmm. at the decades before, and he dominates with that old school type of basketball, but he's a great shooter. I think he's more of an outlier in the exception rather than the uh, than the rule here. So to me, I think it's the power forward position because you have guys at other positions that can slide over and play that, whereas a lot of the power forwards I feel like coming into the NBA are kind of stuck. They can't get shifted to the three and play outside at the wing. And a lot of those guys, I feel like, aren't as skilled as rim protectors to play the center position. So I still think the center position is important. I would maybe shift my conversation to the power forward position and say, like, unless you can play both of those uh, front court positions, you're kind of obsolete. And guys like LaMarcus Aldridge, I don't think you're going to see a whole ton of those dudes uh, going into the future of the NBA. Like, I think LaMarcus Aldridge is one of the league's last type of old school type of players. Um, so that's where I would go, I think. Like, Aldridge is a great example to use as far as like, it's somebody who is strictly like, I am a power forward and nothing else. I'm not a wing and I'm not a center. And that that is certainly something that has phased out and most often in the last, you know, batch of, you know, six to eight years of, of prospects coming into the league, most forwards are combo forwards. They're either wings who can play up a spot or they are power forward slash centers. Um I like the Bulls are even in a similar situation right now where we're talking about the future of Lowry Markinen and in one sense, it seems like, all right, well, Markinen and Wendell is the front court of the future, but in today's ever small-balling NBA, we're going to see some Otto at the four and Lowry at the five you know, lineups coming into next season. And does that make Wendell expensable? Does that mean that, or, you know, what if the Bulls get Zion? Does that mean that you're going to play, they're going to start Lowry at the five, Zion at the four, Otto at the three, and bring Wendell off the bench? Like, those are the kinds of positional situations and circumstances the teams are figuring out right now. And if you are only one position and no other positions, that's why, I mean, you you hear t- you know, coaches, front office executives, certainly here in Chicago, you hear Paxson and Gar talk about it all the time. Not that they necessarily know what the hell they're talking about, but that word versatility, they, that's why they are obsessed with players that they deem to be versatile so that it allows you and your coach and your coaching staff to come up with as many schematic ways to out NBA and out basketball your opponent on a nightly basis, because you have more options on the floor and you have more options of combinations of lineups than your opponent on a nightly basis. I was even thinking about like Dirk Nowitzki too, but even Dirk played a lot of his seasons. He was switching between the four and the five and career. He's a 72% at the position of power forward and 28% at center. So still to me, that's a guy that, that can play both sides and like a lot of those, but the, the apex of the Mavs, other than when they choked away the one seed, you know, whatever that was like 2007, I want to say his MVP season, the one year that they won it all, including beating the Heatles and sweeping out the Lakers and sweeping out uh, or beating out what was the, um, that other? I think it was like Amari's Sons, maybe that other. Uh, they they beat another really high powered Western Conference team. I can't, I can't remember, remember which one, as well as the Lakers. Oh no, the Thunder! They beat the Thunder. They beat oh, the yeah, Young Thunder. Yeah, yeah. Um, with with Harden, Russ, and KD. They beat them. They beat Kobe's Lakers, and they beat the Heatles. How did they do that? 
Dirk at the four and a rim protecting dominant defender Tyson Chandler. That's crazy. Five. Yeah, he played 97 percent of his minutes in the playoffs that year at power forward. And that's like you said, when Tyson Chandler was there and Tyson Chandler was still dominating as a center. So um, that's very interesting. It's a really good question too. just thinking about this, this team in general and thinking about the way that the NBA is going uh, away from a lot of the front court players that are like traditional big men. Um, that's a really good question. I thought that that at least allowed me to think about the way that the NBA is going and who's important, who's not, regardless of the player, uh, more so about the position and where they stand on the floor. Um, so thanks for the question. Appreciate the comment too. And hopefully you continue to listen on those long drives and we'll be here for you all summer long with five episodes a week. With that, I think that's going to about do it here on Locked On Bulls. Hit us up on our text and voicemail line. You want to jump into the conversation, anything we talked about today or in the last couple of episodes, hit us up at 331-979-1369. Drop us your texts, your voicemails, anything you got for us whenever you listen to the show, wherever you listen to the show. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. Make sure to subscribe to Locked On Bulls. I want to make people aware of this really quick, too. If you're not subscribed, Sometimes uh, sometimes I forget to post it on Twitter. We forget to post it on Twitter when our episode goes live. So our episodes might be live for a couple hours before you actually see it posted on Twitter. So make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you're getting your podcasts. Himalaya, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you get our episodes as soon as they drop. For Matt Peck, I'm Jordan Malley. Bulls Nation, have a wonderful day. Be back tomorrow with a fresh episode. For Jordan and Matt, we are out. Deuces. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com.